I need to get a few more of you up here. Uh, I, I was looking that way, just where I was standing. So if a couple of you were singing along over here, I missed you. I apologize. You can get your credit for singing along later. But uh, we could also hand you a mic next time. You can join us. That'll be good. But, uh, boy, it's been a good day. Glad to be back here tonight looking at a message called our hopefully not-so-secret identity. Uh, a lot of times, some of you might identify with that, that boy, or, or maybe for you it wouldn't be a Superman, it'd be a different superhero, or maybe it'd be Superwoman or Wonder Woman, or some female character if you're a girl or a lady. But uh, you might feel like, man, I, that's me. I will say a couple of you have seen right through my disguise. You've realized that my first name is Kent. So clearly I'm Clark Kent. Clearly I'm Superman. I'm just doing my best to uh, cover it up. A couple of you have been so bold as to risk unveiling me and, uh, and my superpowers and have even made that comment. Obviously that's not true. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm not that humble. If I were Superman, you'd know it. I, I think I would show off a whole lot. Um, but as we look at this... The Bible is full of who we are as God's creation, and then if we're Christians, who we are in Christ. And that's our real identity. That's our hopefully not-so-secret identity. Hopefully something that I don't think we would intentionally want to keep it a secret or hide it or cover it up, but hopefully something that we don't allow the world and the cares of this life to draw us away from. Uh, we'll be in Psalm 84 that Dylan read the end of, and we'll be looking through that psalm in just a bit. But usually there are four main questions, four big questions that people will say they need answers to, to really be able to navigate this life much at all. And no, we're not going to look at all four in any detail, just the fourth one. But the first one is really our origin. Where did I come from? How did I come into being? And I'm so glad that this Bible tells us, as well as just creation around us, show us so clearly we can know where we came from, and then we can know that God created us. And that answers so many questions. The next one is morality. Really, how do I know right from wrong? And if you watch the news, you scroll social media, I'm sure you'd agree you can see some people that haven't figured that one out yet. But uh, I'm so glad that from the Bible, as Bible-believing Christians, we don't have to struggle with that question much at all. We can know morality. Now, if you're anything like me, knowing it and always doing it can be two different things. But, uh, boy, just we really even have an innate God-given sense of right from wrong, that if we'll just not cover it up, not try to ignore it, we'll know it. Another question is destiny. What's next? And I feel for people that don't know. Can you just imagine? That's all I can do. But can you just imagine going through the last couple of years... COVID, election chaos, riots around the country, everything going on in our country and in our world and in our own state, without knowing Jesus, without knowing that better's coming, whether in this life, but at least the next, man, I can't imagine going through a day without knowing that my destiny is secure. And you look, whether it's, again, the news or social media or just talking to people, you can tell whether they know the answer to this question and can rest in that or are pretty freaked out because they don't know the answer, maybe downright scared to death. But the last question, and I put them in, in this order just so we could get to this one last, because this is the main one we'll focus on, but really a lot of people ask about meaning. What brings my life meaning? And you could word it as purpose, identity, worth, value. Many wonder, how much do I have to do each day, each week, each year in my life to have my life matter, to be good enough? And a lot of times, Christians, even though we really do have the answers right here, 
will struggle with that. I know I have at different points in my life. And really, you can think about it. I imagine all of us have some version of this story, but you think just in COVID, what that changed. And I'm not going to say, I'll list a couple of specifics from my life, just for example's sake, not at all that uh, I've had it bad. God bless time and time again. He's been so good throughout my entire life, certainly throughout COVID. But uh, you, you might have lost a job or had that change a lot. Things we could base our true identity, our true worth, value, purpose, and meaning on. A lot of them came crashing down during COVID, but our real identity did not change. Our real identity comes from God. But, I mean, you think about it. So I'm a youth pastor, and most of what I do, what I did two years ago as a youth pastor, got paused for about a year and a half. I'm grateful I still had opportunities on a daily and definitely weekly basis and some unique opportunities, some of the pandemic pods that got started up. I got to speak there. I got to preach to kids I never would have met. So believe me, I'm not up here complaining or saying, oh, I had it so bad. But a lot of that changed and it was a struggle sometimes to think, well, oh, who am I? Well, no, wait, I'm, I'm the same person I was before, and I'm doing what God wants, but maybe you had some of that as well. And different things around here came crashing to a halt, and, and maybe you're involved in this ministry or that ministry, and that stopped. Maybe everything at your job stopped. Maybe things in your family changed. I won't go into detail, but uh, Miss Jen and I uh, actually were contacted about no less than two adoption situations seeing if we'd be interested uh, in, during the last couple of years, really much more recently than that, neither one of them went anywhere. So we could say even our family, as much as we love each other and we love our girls, even our family, if that's our ultimate identity, our ultimate who we are, if it was wrapped up in those different adoption situations, now we've got an identity crisis. If it's wrapped up in a job, if it's wrapped up in a certain accomplishment, well, our sense of identity, our sense of meaning and worth is going to ride an awful roller coaster when it doesn't have to. Our meaning, our worth, our value comes from God. I've seen so many people eager and proud to get baptized, to publicly declare that they've already accepted Jesus as their Savior and that they have a part in his family. And yet I've seen so many Christians struggle on a daily basis to remember who they are in Christ. And I know, definitely, I'll admit it, last year and a half, I've had to spend some times. But I just had to take the time to remember. None of that changed it. We've got an identity that COVID couldn't touch. We've got an identity that if another pandemic starts tomorrow, boy, I hope it doesn't, but if another one starts tomorrow, it can't touch it. Things might get better. Things might get worse. Things might get easier. Things might get harder. Can't touch it because our identity is wrapped up in Christ. I want to share just a few verses that really, I'll just be honest with you, if you're good with your identity in Christ. If you're good with these three things, the, the rest of the message, you can take a nap. So we'll go over who you are in Christ because the rest of the message from Psalm 84 is really all about how to live in that, how to rest in it, how to live like the real us, not the fake us, like that little boy. I think, I think he really is Superman, and the, the little boy is just the fake image there, maybe. But I thought that would help illustrate our point. But right away, Genesis 1, verse 26 and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God made us. We're made in God's image, 
Nothing can change that. God forbid, but we could get in a horrible car accident on the way home tonight, never walk again, never look physically the same again, never be able to achieve or accomplish any of the things that we like to achieve and accomplish right now, and nothing about our identity, our real, true, hopefully not so secret identity would change because it comes from God. Psalm 139 verse 15 is about the psalmist, but it's really about all of us. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought, curiously put together carefully, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, referring to the womb, of course. And uh, I think of Joel Tilly uh, making knives there. And uh, I also have a, a friend I went to school with who's a blacksmith, and they will spend time curiously making a work. They'll spend time putting those details together. And I've seen some of the handiwork from both of those guys, and it's put well together. God took, well, he didn't even need more time, but God took even greater care putting us together. Amen. He put greater care putting the details of who we would be together. And we can get upset about that. Everything about you might not be easy. And I say this a lot to kids and teens because they'll struggle. But I found that adults struggle often just as much with these things. You, you might be taller or shorter. And I really, I'm quoting kids and teens message after kids and teens message of my own and from others. But you might wish you were taller. You might wish you were shorter. You might wish you were bigger, smaller, faster, slower, better at this, worse at that. Who knows? Smarter. Maybe you wish you weren't as smart. I don't know. Maybe you wish you lived there or here. None of that affects who you really are. Doesn't mean everything about you will be easy, but it does mean everything about you is intentional. God took time making you, you. And so there might be things about you and how God made you that are challenging, but they're for a purpose, and they're part of his purpose, and he's got that purpose. So, excuse me, in Acts 17, verse 28, the first part of the verse just simply says, for in him, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Up until that point, the other two passages have been about all people. This one shifts it to where if you're a Christian, everything about you. We live, we move, we have our being. Everything in us is about God. And so nothing can take that away. We have a purpose. We have meaning. We have value. We have worth. Accomplishments or lack thereof don't define who you really are. We don't have to, and maybe you never have, but you don't, we don't have to ride the, the roller coaster of, okay, things were good. Just got a promotion. I must be a very valuable person. Just got fired. I must be worthless. Or, you know, this, this thing just happened. So great. Wow. I'm, I'm, yeah. And maybe we struggle with pride. And then something comes crashing down, whether it's a stock portfolio and financial issues or just things are going well in the family, things aren't going as well, or, or this or that. And all of a sudden, we've got a great sense of who we are, maybe struggling to not get an ego about it. And then it comes crashing down, and now we're struggling to not be depressed, when in reality, we're the same. God has given us the identity that really doesn't change, so it frees us up to do everything we can to bring him glory. He's the one that's given us our purpose, so we can live that out for him. Let's pray, and we'll dig into Psalm 84 with some very helpful, three points, very helpful things on how we can do this. Again, if you're like, well, yeah, that's easy. I imagine you probably should skip that nap and stay awake just for a little bit so you'll know how to help someone in your life that might struggle with it. But if you're anything like me, there are times in your life where you probably have and probably will again struggle to remember who we are. It's probably not surprising to think, okay, yeah, the Bible says who I am ultimately comes from God. It's defined by him. But it can be challenging to live daily 
in that thought and to not get drawn away from it, to not be, let's be honest, our identity is better than being Superman. I would rather be a son of God. I would rather be God's child than to be Superman. I would rather have that be my identity. But it can be so easy to let the things of this world make us forget about it, draw us away. And all of a sudden, compared to Superman, we're living like Clark Kent. Compared to who God wants us to remember that he has made us, so we're free to allow him to use us in big ways. Now we're running scared. Really, Sammy's devotion really led into this very well. Didn't even know what he was going to be talking about. Uh, I think I knew the verse. But uh, now we're running scared, not sure how we're going to survive, trying this and this and this, trying to squeeze ultimate meaning out of human relationships, trying to squeeze ultimate meaning out of accomplishment. And God's saying, no, 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 ultimately who you are is given from me. It's not going to change. So you're free to bring him glory. Let's pray and we'll look at how we can live this out. Father God, thank you for creating us, making us in your image. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a purpose that's not going away, ultimate value and meaning that we can rest in, that it comes from you, and that we can live for you each day in that purpose, seeking to give glory and honor to the one who gave us life and breath and purpose and meaning. Pray that you'll bless our time in Psalm 84. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, we're going to take a look through Psalm 84. First of all, looking at how to live daily in your true identity. Again, probably something that's fairly easy to, to wrap our minds around, that ultimately who we really are comes from God. But it can be challenging to live in that reality every day, to live like Superman instead of Clark Kent. It can be challenging to not get drawn away from that. Psalm 84, starting in verse 1, says, How amiable are thy tabernacles. And amiable just means pleasant, awesome, wonderful. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, they will still be still praising thee. Selah, or pause, take this in. This is important. What was just said really matters. And that's actually where we'll stop for this first point. I love this passage, and we'll go through it kind of verse by verse. But it just amazes me that the psalmist is describing how even the birds that got to live near the physical temple were blessed just to be in the presence of God. I have no idea how much bird food, how many worms, any of that were right near the temple. Big old building, they had to clear some land, I'm sure. It might not have been the best hunting. I know I'm being a little silly with this for just a moment. But it was the best place to live as a bird because you were just close to God. But the simple fact of the matter is, 1 Corinthians 6.19, very familiar verse, I'm sure. It says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't have to go to a physical building. Now, I love being able to gather here. I was just saying how hard it was with COVID and everything to not be able to gather here. But we don't have to gather here just on Sundays and Wednesdays to be in the presence of God. We can spend time in God's presence anytime. And I love that fact. That's who we are. That's the opportunity we have. And first of all, to be able to live daily in our true identity, we need to remember that God's presence is good regardless of circumstances. Psalm 84.1 said, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! 
Now, tabernacles, they were a temporary, they were a tent. They were a temporary place to live. And I think the psalmist got this world ain't, is not all there is. We're going somewhere permanent. And maybe, if you've ever gone tent camping, did you ever find that one campground that was fantastic? And for whatever reason, you tried somewhere else the next year and realized you should have stayed where you were. So I, I've tent camped in the Midwest and, you know, up north a little ways and here in Virginia some, and I enjoy it. But there are places I wouldn't go back to. And there are places where our earthly tabernacle will get set up, so to speak, where we'll be for a little bit that aren't always easy. But, man, if we're with God, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. We're the temple. We don't have to run away from our true identity. We don't have to let a false identity make you hide or pull away from your true identity. I love how pastor and author Carrie Schmidt put the title of his book that's really on this subject. He just simply called it Stop Trying. Our identity comes from God, so we can rest in that. We can live for it. As the First Corinthians passage said, we can honor and glorify God, but we don't have to be trying to go through life squeezing our ultimate meaning out of accomplishments or squeezing our ultimate meaning out of this human relationship or that one because it ultimately comes from God. So let me just ask you, what tempts you to hide the real you, your true identity given by Christ? What might draw you away from it? So I've heard different statistics on how many images our eyes actually see every second. Our live stream, just for reference sake, it's 30 pictures a second. I've heard our eyes can certainly see and even process 60 pictures a second. And much beyond that, it's hard for the eye to process and the brain for us to actually see something. You get a computer screen refreshing faster than that, we certainly don't see the computer screen refreshing. But apparently, it's even more, I think many times more, images that hit our eyes every second. And if we're not careful, some of those are going to draw us away. Some of the things around us, even if it's not bad, will just distract us. Psychologists will say that adults, I don't know how many it is for children, but adults will make up to 35,000 decisions a day, every single day. Now, some of those are the deep stuff, like, okay, should I put my left shoe on first or my right shoe? Some of them don't exactly shape your life unless you put the wrong shoe on the wrong foot. Addison likes to do that. You like wearing the wrong shoes on the wrong feet sometimes, don't you? What she doesn't like is me talking to her during a sermon, or about her, I'll put it that way. But man, we make so many decisions, and some of them don't matter, but some of them, they're either going to be made based on the fact that we are God's son or God's daughter, we're God's child, we have Jesus as our savior, God is our creator, and we have our purpose and meaning, or they're going to be based on trying to find purpose and meaning somewhere else and can quickly draw us away. Let's remember that God's presence is good, even if circumstances aren't. Let's correctly interpret the longing of our hearts. Psalm 84.2 says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Many times our hearts and flesh are crying out, but we don't even realize what, really who, they are crying out for. It's like we need a medicine or a vitamin, but don't realize it. So we're sick and seeking a cure in all the wrong places. Next time you watch the news, next time you scroll social media, see if you see anybody who's seeking the cure for the longing in their heart from all the wrong places. That's often, sadly, a lot of the crimes reported on the news or in the newspaper. And often, and I'm all for social media. I really, I enjoy it. I'll just be honest. But you see a lot of people who are trying to get validated by how many likes they get how many shares, and if they get so many, they'll think they matter. And they'll put picture after picture of themselves 
up there, which, again, if you put selfies up, you go for it. But uh, I hate having my picture taken too much to do that, but uh, nothing wrong with it. But, man, they'll put them out there time and time again, hoping for someone to validate them, so hoping for someone to show that their life has value and meaning. And maybe they get some sort of satisfaction for a little bit, but it'll never last and they'll ride that roller coaster. One post goes viral, and so they feel like a million bucks. The next post, hardly anybody even looks at it, and, and so they come crashing back down. And our ultimate meaning is from Christ. The longing of our hearts is for Christ. And if we try, even as Christians, to find our ultimate meaning in anything else, it really will be. Like, we've got a heart sickness, a heart longing for something, and we're just refusing to take the, the vitamin, the medicine that would help us. Just trying to wrestle that meaning from someone or something in our lives. And it's not just unsaved. It's not just lost people who do that. So many Christians will try to wrestle that ultimate meaning from someone else. Because our, our soul does long. I've heard it put very well that everybody is born with a God-sized hole in them. And we'll try to shove other things in there. Some people go to a darker path and, and try to shove inappropriate sex or drugs or alcohol to try to fill that longing, and that doesn't work. Others, it's career. It's good things. It's money. It's human success. It's good things. But they're trying to find that ultimate meaning to fill that God-sized hole, that longing in their soul. And even Christians can try some of those things. Because let's be honest, if we drift away from the temple, so to speak, if we drift away from the presence of God, if we drift away from our close relationship with God, we're going to have a longing for something that's not there. Here was a psalmist just wanting to be at the temple, to be in God's presence, his soul longing for the courts of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul describes how he could have based his meaning on a whole lot of stuff, but he didn't. Verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to you, to me, is indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Don't be drawn away by false teachings there. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in human accomplishments. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee. And you can just almost think of what someone might say today, this degree or that degree, or this following, or this size of influence, or this success level. He says in verse 6, concerning zeal persecuting the church, I mean, he's all out for God, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Because those were not the things that could fill the longing in his soul. Those were not the things that gave his life meaning. That came straight from God. We need to also remember that time with God, it really is about time with God, not about accomplishing something. It's about being there. Psalm 84, verse 3, Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. The psalmist is saying it's a privilege just for a bird to be able to build a nest near the temple. Maybe on the outside, they might have kept nests away there, but just near the temple. And how much more is it a privilege for us to be able to be in the presence of the Lord? A lot of times, I'll admit, I'll come to my devotions, come to my Bible reading and prayer time, trying to accomplish something that'll help me with the rest of my day. Okay, God, I read this many chapters, talked to you about some things, did this or that. 
And so now the rest of my day should be good. But I think it's even better to come to God in my time with Him and go throughout the rest of my day realizing that my life is all about Him and we don't have to have it be about accomplishing this or that, but just about setting the tone for the rest of our day to be spending it in the presence of God, to be spending time with Him. It's interesting. I got to take my wife out on Friday. On our 10th anniversary, I got to take her out for dinner. And imagine... We went to Olive Garden. It was good, if you're curious there. It'll make you hungry there. Getting around supper time, maybe late supper time for some of you. And uh, imagine if that entire time I was all about accomplishing something. Like, okay, how, how to be a good husband. Okay, 10th anniversary, better take her out for dinner. Check, you know. And uh, my focus was on that. Maybe I'm even pulling out a checklist, pulling out my phone, and my focus is on accomplishing something, not on the relationship. Don't think that would have been a good 10-year anniversary to remember. I don't think it would have gone well. Don't think my wife would have been really interested in even talking to me. I, I doubt. But so many times we want to get something from God or we want to accomplish this or that in our relationship with God. Okay, I think I've done enough. And the psalmist is saying, what a privilege to just be there in the presence of God. You ever notice what people will do just to be there? Oh, I am not one. I like technology. I'm not one that will wait in line for technology. Some people camp out at like an Apple store the night before a new release to get the latest iPhone or the latest this or that. And I guess they enjoy that, and that's fine. I'm not opposed to it. Definitely not something I want to do. It goes even farther, though. Back in 1967, the Ice Bowl, very memorable football game, more than 50,000 fans attended at Lambeau Field. Apparently... Actual temperature, minus 13 degrees. Real temperature, or wind chill, what it felt like was minus 48. And still 50,000 fans were there. I've heard stories about the game that uh, the football was so cold and fingers were so icy, it was hard to even throw the ball. field was so slippery with all of the snow and ice that it was hard to run the ball. It ended up being that the Green Bay Packers uh, were 21-17 over the Dallas Cowboys. So sorry, Cowboys fans, to rub that in you. you know, long, We're digging back a ways, though. I mean, so hopefully that helps. But at the same time, legendary football game. If you're an NFL fan, you're probably more familiar with it than I am. I don't follow NFL too, too closely. But I guarantee you, those 50,000, especially a week later when they realized this was a significant, memorable event, felt privileged just to be there, just to have been a part of that. Really was football history. Really is one of the most famous games in football history. And whether their team won or lost, I bet you they were glad just to be there. I bet you they told their grandkids about it and talked about it for the rest of their lives. Many of them still alive, I'm sure. But God's doing something even more significant than that every day all around us. We need to be there just to be part of it, no matter what that part is. And sometimes we need to change our perspective, not our address. Psalm 84.4 says, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee, Selah. Maybe things are easy, and it's easy to praise. Maybe things are difficult. It's a little harder to praise sometimes. If we'll just stay with God, come back home every day, realizing that problems don't just disappear because we're in the presence of God, but our perspective about them can sure change. We make it to the point we don't want to leave and then realize that we don't have to, that we get to spend time with God maybe in the mornings at that specific devotion time and then take God with us the rest of the day and spend time in prayer without ceasing and just meditating on Scripture throughout the day. But it's so easy to be the temple and still do our best to walk away.
I'm sure we would never disrespect the temple. I'm sure if we could go to Solomon's temple, which obviously has been destroyed, but if we could go there, we would never be like, oh, that's graffiti. You know, we would never disrespect that building. It'd be unthinkable for us to even disrespect this building, the church. And yet the price of our true identity was far greater than the price of that temple. And I've heard estimates on how many billions in modern-day dollars Solomon's temple would have cost, maybe, maybe trillions. I mean, incredibly valuable, high price to pay, years of effort. I mean, but our true identity in Christ was paid for by the blood of Christ. Our opportunity is greater than just being at that building because he's in us, working through us. That's how we can live daily in our true identity. Now let's look at how we can live like the real you, even during a trial. Psalm 84.5 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose hearts are the way, heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca, which just means the valley of weeping, so valley, low point, and weeping, not good times, passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. If we're going to live like the real us, if we're going to live in that identity during a difficult time, we need to start building strength during calm times. It was verse 5 that said, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose hearts are the way of them. If we're going to have that strength, we need to build it during the calm times. Build that relationship. Go to God time and time again. If you ever follow a team or have been on a team, you get it that they don't start training on the first game day or after the first game day. That would not go well at all, whether it's Riverheads football or your favorite pro team or whatever it might be, a team that you're on. If we go try to build our strength the first game or even after that, it's not going to go well. I have some, some fond, we'll, we'll go with fond memories of the first day of basketball tryouts or basketball practices where that coach was very motivated to start us early building strength. Uh, if you know what a suicide on a basketball court is or a monkey drill, not many people know about monkey drills, and if you don't, you should count your blessings. Uh, very painful drills. I won't demonstrate now. That would be very odd looking, I'm sure. But uh, at the same time, we were building strength long, months even, before the first game day because we needed that there. We strong teams don't start training then. We can build strength in our relationship with God by spending time with him every day. And then we can trust God that it's temporary. I think two of the best words in verse 6 are passing through. Verse 6, who passing through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping there, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. Passing through it. Not having to stay there forever. Not having to build a house there. Not having that be the best time of our, li our lives in the valley, not the mountaintop, in the valley and not the valley of rejoicing, but the valley of weeping. On our way to God's house in the psalm there, we can rejoice that it's temporary. But a well is a place of refreshing. These are people who are dwelling in the presence of God, seeking to go to the temple, seeking God's true meaning for their lives, and realizing that it comes from Him, that they can make this valley of weeping a well, which is a place of refreshing for them and for others. If we'll realize that our identity comes from God and our meaning and our purpose is something that the world can't take away, can't even shrink our real worth, our real meaning, because that comes from God, 
We'll be able to go through the valley of weeping, the valley of Baca, and make it a well. We'll be people who can show others, wow, this is a difficult time in your life. Yeah, this was a difficult time in my life, or maybe right now I'm going through it, but God's good. And we can show them that they need to get to God's presence. This is on the way to the temple in context in Psalm 84 on this imagined journey, on the way to Zion or Jerusalem, on the way to the temple. And we'll go through some difficult stuff, but we can trust God that it's temporary. It always amazes me, the story in John 9, you're welcome to turn over there real quick if you'd like. We'll be in verse 1 in just a moment. But the man born blind, and the fact that it was for God's glory. John 9, starting in verse 1, says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was born blind from his birth. So, valley of weeping, valley of Baca, for this guy has never seen in his life. Don't know exactly how old he is, but uh, I mean, he's lived years with never being able to see. He's gone through some difficult things. It says in verse 2, And his disciples asked him, Jesus, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So in other words, the disciples are thinking, Okay, he's obviously being punished. Obviously he did wrong, which is blind from his birth, so that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around how the poor guy sinned in the womb, I guess. Uh, but either he sinned or his parents. And you guys are probably familiar with the story. But I love the fact that God gives hope right there that his, his difficulty was for God's glory. But I love the fact that Jesus doesn't even stop there. Look in verse 6, you probably know what happened. It says, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and, he, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Not only is there a reminder that this guy's tragedy, this guy's difficulty, this guy's valley had a purpose, but God even improved his circumstances. God even took it away. It was temporary. And there are things that will be temporary only in the sense that when this life ends, they'll be gone in heaven, but even that's temporary. I love being able to picture eternity compared to this little speck of life. The Bible describes our lives as a vapor. And I always like to think of that on a winter day. Sounds nice. It's a little hot out. A little nice winter day will cool us off to think about. But you breathe out, your breath is there, and it's gone. That's our lives compared to eternity. So even if there's not relief, even if it's only temporary, until then, it's still not going to last forever. Yes, this man went through a valley, but it was temporary, and it was used by God. And we can rely on our God-given identity, even during a trial. Verse 7 of Psalm 84, Psalm 84, 7 says, They go from strength to strength. Yeah, they might go through the valley of Baca on their way to the temple, but they're going from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. We can rely on our God-given identity, and we'll have be able to go from strength to strength. If the trials get bigger, God's strength will be bigger for us. He will give us everything we need, and we can rest in our, the real you and the real us during a trial by relying on that. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. That's how we can live like the real us even during a trial. Now let's look at our last point, how to live like the real you in a sin-cursed world. Because that's every day. There's sin around us and the effects of sin. 
But our real identity helps us with that. Verse 10 of Psalm 84 says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. We need to become so wrapped up in God that issues just don't affect us as much because they can't change the real us. They can't change our identity. First part of verse 10 says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. It was the great preacher Charles Spurgeon that said, God's worst is better than the devil's best. I would rather have one day with God than a thousand days of the best that this world can offer apart from him. And maybe that's one day at a time we enjoy what God has for us. Maybe even being tempted to be drawn away, feeling that lure that circumstances could get easier if we would just move away from who we really are in Christ and take a different job than what God has for us or move to a different set of circumstances in one way or another and live the world's way. And it would be easier temporarily. I'd rather have one day with God, even one day at a time, than a thousand days of the best the world can offer. We need to remember that the least significant job, which really there are no insignificant jobs, but the least significant job done for God matters more than the most significant job done for yourself or for the world. The end of verse 10 says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Rather be a doorman right by God's presence. I don't even think the temple had doormen. doormen. So this is making up a fairly lowly position. If you've ever been to a building that has doormen, maybe you noticed them. Maybe you stopped to talk to them. Most people don't. They're fairly insignificant in the world's eyes. Not a lofty position. Certainly not seen as nearly as important as the building manager or the building owner or even the residents of the building in big cities that would have doormen there, not seen as this incredibly significant job. And yet the psalmist says, I would, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, tents aren't palaces. I get that. But at the same time, I think the idea here is being able to be in the popular group, being able to hang out there, being able to have a much better living situation than just maybe being homeless by the door of the temple just to be there. But just to be in God's presence, no matter what, is what's going to be most important. And anything that God calls us to do is going to be worth it. And any difficulty or blessing that comes our way when we're doing what God has means we're right where we're supposed to be. And that's right what's supposed to be happening to us. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And then we need to not let external pressures pull us away from our identity. And we'll end with that thought, and that really wraps up the whole message. But verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. You think of the sun. So God's going to be a sun and shield. The sun, it provides light, often encouragement. If I get down in the dumps, it's often at night. You ever notice that? It's often when you're alone, it's dark, it's just, yeah, the sun coming up. You ever have a really long night, and man, those first rays of sunlight meant the world to you. It's almost like visible hope coming over the mountain. I mean, it's just amazing. The sun will be light. It's often encouragement. It's energy. It's warmth. It's crops growing. It's things that we haven't even discovered yet. The sun's amazing. I've personally met a guy who works for NASA and helped build a uh, space um, 
probe, I believe is the right word, that uh, has been up in the sun's atmosphere and explored that and just some awesome stuff that we're learning about the sun. God's all that to us and infinitely more. He's also a shield. I mean, that provides protection, often has the army's identity. The army's insignia something emblazoned right on it, engraven into it. And that's all over our lives as Christians. It's all over even a lost person's life that they were created by a good and loving God. And then as he draws them to salvation, and if we accept Jesus' salvation, he's a sun and shield to us. We've got an identity in Christ that nothing can take away. We have a purpose, value, meaning that no one can touch. Let's not pretend to be something else. Let's not live for anything else. The fact that we have unchanging identity and unchanging meaning from God doesn't mean that we should be able to do whatever we want. It means that we have the freedom to rest in that fact and to live for the one who gave it to us. We have the opportunity to honor and glorify God because he's the one who made us in his image. He's the one who died on the cross for our sins. He's the one who saved us. And he's the one who ultimately gives our life meaning. If he's where our meaning comes from, it's an awful shame to spend our lives as Christian living for anything else. Trying to squeeze meaning out of other relationships, ultimate meaning, or trying to squeeze ultimate meaning out of anything else other than living in God's presence, living the life God has chosen for us, because he's the one that has given us our identity. Let's pray. Father God, the world changes constantly. Sometimes there's good news on the news or in our lives. Sometimes there's very bad news. Sometimes things go the way we hope and pray or vote, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we have uh, accomplishments that mean a lot to us. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we succeed. Sometimes we fail. But you never change. You're the one that's given us our ultimate identity. The world around us seems to be filled with people who are trying to squeeze purpose and meaning out of something or someone. And even as Christians, we can try to do that. I pray that we'll rest in the fact that you give us our identity. You made us the real us. You give us hope. You give us our identity, our meaning, our purpose, and our value. And I pray that we'll do everything we can to thank you for that and to live in that real reality that we're your son or we're your daughter. If we've accepted you as Savior, that we're made in your image and that we can carry your glory to others and help others see how amazing you are. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.